0: Now, it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Janine Roth, a New York Times bestselling author. Janine's latest book is one that is certain to support and encourage us on this great life journey that we signed up for. Janine also leads some wonderful retreats around the country. We're going to hear about those as well as we meet Janine Roth and get some insights into her latest book, This Messy, Magnificent Life, A Field Guide. Janine Roth, good morning and so many thanks for joining us this morning.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: I am so honored and thrilled to have you join us because your work over the years has been so important to women. And here, after a long, dry six years, I'll say, we have this brand new book titled mm. This Messy, Magnificent Life, A Field Guide. So thank you for investing yourself even further to creating this gift for us.
1: Mm. Oh, wow. It's a pleasure and a joy, both to write and then to get the book out there and hopefully touch the hearts and lives
0: of people who read it. So having said that this has been some time in the making, and you've had numerous other books, including bestsellers, New York Times bestsellers. I have to say, this is the first one, sorry, the first one that I've actually uh, encountered and delved into, and I will need to go back, but I have to say that there is just so much that is so touching, so relevant, so important to help each of us in our lives today.
1: Mm, Wow. I'm glad that this is true, then, (laughs) that this is the first one you've delved into. I love that.
0: And so, that being the case, it touches on so much. I I had this feeling of, oh, yes, I've heard that. That's great. Okay, now it's coming to surface again for me. I need to be working on this. And so, for that reason, I find it to be so invaluable And I couldn't choose what really is the most important thing because it's all important. And I felt to give our listeners some essence of it uh, that is going to touch them this morning, I would ask you to choose something that pops out to you from your new book to share with us this morning.
1: Yes, thank you. You know, there are so many parts of the book. Um, The first part of the book um, takes off from and extends what I've been writing about for many years, which is about the relationship with food and using the relationship with food as a doorway into our core beliefs about being alive. Because what I say a lot is that the way we eat is the way we live and that the world is on our plate, meaning that how... And what you eat is a reflection of your beliefs about joy and deprivation and pleasure, what you're allowed to have if you can get enough in the rest of your life, and if not, then how you deal with that, with the food on your plate, what you feel like you deserve, because so many people say, well, I deserve this, um, or I don't deserve this, and so I'm always interested in that. The next two parts of the book are about the core beliefs that really drive that relationship with food and our relationship with the rest of our lives, Um, how we are in relationships, how we are in work with our colleagues, with our children, how we are when we can't sleep during the night, the kind of grudges we hold and what we tell ourselves, how our minds work. But I think for – oh, one last thing I want to say about that is that I – After really working with my own relationship with food, about which I was obsessed for many years of my life and the size of my body I took to be um, indicative of the kind of life I was allowed to have or not, depending on the size of my thighs, I should say, Um, this is a piece that I'm just about to read, or a little of the piece, um, about uh, weight and how so many of us uh, tie up our fabulous life energy in judging and objectifying our bodies, which of course is quite relevant now um, because of what's going on with the hashtag Me Too movement and also that women are coming out and speaking up for the first time about how they feel that their bodies have been seen and or touched and or used. So I'll read a little bit about that. Um, If I wanted to silence half the population of the world, this is from a piece called If I Were Gloria Steinem. If I wanted to silence half the population of the world, the one most likely to oppose war and guns, I can't think of a better way to do it than silencing women because when a woman's energy is tied up in judging her body it ties up her power as well expecting a woman to stand up for what she knows while convincing her that she must first be thin is like binding a chinese woman's feet and asking her to run a marathon when we realize That we've had duct tape over our mouths for decades, that we haven't talked up, that we have tied up our energy in judging ourselves. The only thing to do about that duct tape is to tear it off. Our power is not in blaming or shaming, but in waking up from the collective trance in which we've been living in. We use the same arms we've been told are too fat, and we uncover the same mouths we've been told are too loud. And then we start telling the truth about what we already know but don't know we want to know. There are many ways of truth-telling, but the best way I know is to ask questions and be relentlessly honest in answering them. Is it true that when I lose weight, I will have the body and therefore the life I want? Have I ever lost weight? How many times? If it's such a cure-all, why did I gain it back? Answers like, because I lost my job, my spouse, my best friend, don't count. Answers like, yes, but next time it will be different, are excuses and probably a lie. If the culture was entrancing women into silence about the destruction of the environment, guns, mass shootings, and waging war as an answer to everything, the $60 billion weight loss industry would be proof that they were winning. The fact that that we are frightened of our hungers and our strength would be proof. And the way our energy gets trapped in dieting over and over and over again would seal the deal. If your doctor said, I have a cure for you, but there's a 99% chance it won't work, and I know you've tried it 5 or 20 times, and it saps your energy, makes you feel worthless, and keeps you stuck in the rest of your life, would you do it again and again and every year for the rest of your life? Imagine what you could do, I ask a group of women, if you stop turning your energy against yourself and use it instead to question what you've been hypnotized into believing about the size of your body and to speak up for what matters to you and your children. What would happen if one woman spoke the truth, asked the poet Muriel Reichhauser. The world would split open, she said. Let that one be
0: you. Yes. You. That you is each of us. Yes. And that is so powerful, Janine. Thank you for choosing to read that. It certainly resonated with me when I read it. To hear you read it just adds an added kind of magical, miracle piece to it. And there's, I think all of us can hear just how much is captured of our lives in that few minutes that you spent reading from uh, your, the chapter on Gloria Steinem, that is still relevant to us today, obviously. And as you mentioned, uh, the hashtag MeToo movement, and considering your book just coming out, is there any kind of, <laughs> kind of magical feeling about this coming out in support of women at this time?
1: I am so glad that I wrote this. Um, and that it's coinciding with what's happening now. And um, so obviously I wasn't um, a, a future teller <laughs> or a psychic and had no idea when I wrote this piece uh, that it would be coming out at this most relevant time now. But because I work with a lot of women about how they feel about their bodies and how their energy is tied up in their bodies, it felt very important to write about. Um, There's also a piece in the book called Strings Attached that's about taking, I mean, I can say it now with the Me Too movement there and Time's Up um, movement happening, which I think are fabulous. This, again, I wrote before those things happened, the Strings Attached uh, chapter, but that is also about bodies and the fact that most women, and this was true for me because everything I suggest in these books and everything I try, or I shouldn't say I try, I teach at my retreats because I lead six-day-long retreats twice a year. And everything I teach at them I've done myself and and really have worked with myself for a long time before I teach them. Um, that's a piece about how... Uh, most women don't actually feel like their bodies are theirs. It's a very odd thing to say. But when I do this exercise, which I call the Red String Project, with my students, and I did a Facebook post about that, also called the Red String Project. It's about putting a red string, a piece of red string uh, around you, and actually seeing if you feel like you're allowed to take up the space between your body and the perimeter of this red string, an energetic boundary. What I found is that most women, first of all, start crying. The second I give out that piece, it's hard for me to finish the instructions because what I hear constantly is, I'll get in trouble if I feel like my body is mine. People won't like me. I won't get love. I won't be lovable over and over and over again how we feel somehow like our bodies are um, negotiation tools. And I'll do this for love. I'll do this so that you won't reject me. And I'll do this for any number of reasons. And so what I think is really important at this moment of history is that we, as women, and of course the men that this applies to as well, look and see how we've internalized the external messages and now treat ourselves the way we have been treated, how we disregard our bodies, how often we treat our cell phones better than we treat our bodies. And as I say in this book, in the piece called Heavenly Bodies, which I wrote after I broke my back in an accident last year, I wrote that I always knew I had a back and that my back was in back of my front, but I never actually you know just really um embodied this body felt you know the wonder at the fact that my spine had been supporting me i never um got into the the miraculousness really of having a body at all and in that i say i and I think I just said this, but I got so caught up in that, remembering what that piece was about, I'm not even sure if I did just say this, that I treated my jade plant better than I treated my body. It's it's complicated in there, but when you start taking up the space you've been given, owning the fact that this is your body refusing to um, do what you don't want to do when you've got a choice here, then it changes. Then women can start speaking up for what they love and what they want. And, you know, one of the touchstones I write about in This Messy, Magnificent Life, there's a list of seven of them at the end of the book, and one of them is stand in your own two shoes. Occupy the space you've been given. Own your body. And for many of us, it will be the first time we do.
0: And that's part of the miraculousness of this messy, magnificent life. This new book is that there are these touchstones. There are these stories, your personal experiences, the experiences of women who attend your workshops and retreats. And it gives us uh, these various points of of being touchstones, of connection, where I think there, we might be waking up Initially, or it just might be underscoring and, and taking us deeper into something that we would already kind of uh, observed in our lives.
1: Yes, that's right. And I think that's really the point of um, having something we already know, because I often say to my students, to myself, and certainly in this book, that oftentimes we know we know, but we don't recognize that we already know it. Or we know it, sometimes I'll ask my students during the first night of a retreat, what do you know that you don't want to know? Mm-hmm. And I, and that's a sort of twist of that question. But it is very important for us to know what we know and to stand up for what we know. And I'm not saying go out there and, Join movements and um, because everybody's got a different role in their lives. For some people, it's being this with their children, it's being authentic, it's telling the truth, it's what I, um, you know, what it's being yourself in the different situations of your life. Uh, Oftentimes, and I say this, most of us don't realize that no and I don't want to, are complete sentences. And I think it's important for us to start practicing that so that we are resolute in how we treat ourselves, because, of course, our children learn from what we do, not just what we say, and not mostly what we say. It's what we do. We are. It's like we're walking radio signals. We are transmitting our inner states, uh, what we know, and what we really believe—not what we say we believe, but what we really, really believe. We transmit that all the time in every situation, in every relationship, in every interaction. And, of course, with every plate of food we take, that's why I say we eat the way we live. Because everything we do is a reflection of those core beliefs and old decisions we made about ourselves.
0: And so, again, there's just so much that's packed into that that we can really... uh, feel it penetrating within us and touching some part that has been causing us pain, or perhaps it's just that emptiness that's been there. What is causing it? And you take us on this um, excursion, on this travel through our lives to find out what it is that's been missing that we have not contributed, what our role is here in adding to this world that we are living on, this planet.
1: Yes, I do want to say for anybody that sounds uh, sort of scary, too. (laughs) Um, It's a very personal journey, though. It's not, um, you know, there's no imperative at the end. I think what happens for many of us is that that some of us are slightly haunted, by knowing that we're not living as fully as we could be living, that we're not showing up for the promise of ourselves. We feel this inherent promise. And the thing is, every single one of us has uniqueness. Every single one of us is unique. We've got a gift. And I know that's true. You know, I quote Martha Graham, in this book, um, she has a beautiful quote that, that the world will not have your gift if you block it. And there's only one of you in all time. And if you don't show up for yourself it's not about the world. It's not about anything. It's about the fact that we don't want to get to the end of our lives or even tomorrow and feel like it's a half-life that we're living. We really, really want to show up for the ordinary and the extraordinary, for, for the sight of a daffodil at New Spring, for the way that our feet touches the earth, when we walk, as well as for the gorgeous exchanges that we have of love between people. And also, we want to find out that the things we think are going to hurt so much don't usually hurt as much. It's usually the the stories we tell themselves. That's a big theme in this messy, magnificent life, that we think it's the situations that cause so much pain, but it's actually the stories we tell ourselves about the situation. It's the interpretations we make about what's happened, not really what's happened. And this is really a hard thing for people to get. It was so hard for me to get. It's still hard for me to get. When I wake up in the morning and my mind just goes rambling on about, you know, something's wrong and who's to blame and who did that and they should have done this and you know, this ongoing litany, I have to remember that what's really going on is that something happened and now I'm interpreting what happened in a way that is causing me a lot of discomfort. And if I question my interpretation, then the whole thing changes. What we really want to do in the end is align ourselves with our own biggest energy and whether that is looking at how we block ourselves in our relationship with food and our bodies or how we hold ourselves back at work by not speaking up it doesn't matter where it shows up but if it's showing up anywhere we just want to be interested in that so that we can really live our fullest life.
0: And that just demonstrates why you are the teacher, the leader, the one who is going to uh, guide us along on this journey, because you are so gentle and forgiving in this approach The, you know, it's not what you have to do. You must do this, but just this kind of opening up and becoming more connected with it over time.
1: Yeah, right. It's following the thread, and um, my biggest fear um, was that, actually not my biggest fear, but one of my fears was that I would get to the end of my life and feel like I hadn't really lived, that I didn't want to feel regrets. And for a while, I wasn't sure what that meant did it mean like traveling to all the far-flung places in the earth um, going to all seven continents going um, back to India where I lived for a couple of months did it mean uh, writing more books did it mean um, meeting more people putting myself in situations did it mean learning Spanish did it mean learning how to knit did it mean what did that mean really And I realized it was really about living now, being present now, which is not difficult to do. And I do want to say that the things I talk about in the book are not rocket science. Anybody can do them any day that you choose. You don't have to go on long meditation retreats. You don't have to be in years and years of therapy. Anybody can do what I'm talking about. For instance, one of the things I talk about, and it's one of the seven touchstones that I write about at the end of the book, is ask yourself what's not wrong every day. And first thing in the morning when you wake up, ask yourself what's not wrong right now. You will be amazed, first of all, at how that changes your energy. And according to all the brain scientists, We know that the brain can be reshaped, that there are things called neural pathways, and that they are affected by your thoughts that you have consistently. So if you have the consistent thought that something's wrong, then you start looking for what's wrong. If you have the thought that what's not wrong and you start focusing on what's not wrong, as one of my, we gave this assignment to one of my retreat students, and to write to us every day five things that weren't wrong. And that assignment was for a month. And she loved it so much that she did it for two months and three months. Now she's been doing it for a year. And now other students have jumped on that bandwagon because they saw how it was affecting her because then she went through the days looking for what's not wrong. And that shifted her perspective this is going to sound dramatic, but it's true, on being alive. Because when you start looking for what's not wrong, you start seeing what's not wrong, and then there's a feeling of goodness and positivity that comes.
0: Yes, I loved that one touchstone. I love them all. But that one really is so insightful for us. And that's one of the treasures of the book, along with everything else that we have been already connecting on and and discussing this morning with Janine Roth. And Janine, I think we should mention your website because there, too, we have an extra special gift in terms of being able to access a video presentation
1: Yes, if people go to JanineRothBook.com, JanineRothBook.com, and that's spelled with a G, most people get very confused when I say Janine. I, I see this when I you know, go into a store and they ask me my name because I'm ordering something, and I say Janine like G, um, they write down J immediately. In fact, I sometimes I just say, okay, fine, my name is Jane. That will be easier. <laughs> but anyway, the, you know, this website is G-E-N-E-E-N, Rothbook.com. People will see um, that they can also be part of this free video master class that I'm doing on Women, Weight, and Power, Releasing the Energy of Obsession. And I'll be doing that soon, probably uh, at the end of April sometime. And that's available, accessible to anybody who buys a book, JanineRossBook.com, And also that will give you access to the free live video premiere with Anne Lamott, Elizabeth Lesser, Claire Zammett, and me And also a free chapter from the book. So there's a lot waiting for you there.
0: (laughs) Yes, indeed. And I only got to watch a little of the video. I need to go back and complete that. But this is what is such a great way to gift yourself with a copy of this important book, This Messy, Magnificent Life, A Field Guide, and really begin to explore ourselves, uh, regardless of where we are on this journey. It's always a journey, and we're going to learn more and really value all of these things that are going on in our life. And what I value is certainly the gift of you, Janine Roth, Janine with a G. I just so appreciate that you are so vulnerable that you have decided to share yourself with the world so that we can all learn and benefit
1: mm, thank you i consider myself a student more than anything and that when i find ways as i have done in the relationship with food that that are freeing and joy producing and you know, open up a different world than I ever thought was possible. I want everybody to know about them.
0: Ah, uh, yes, hmm. that also is so resonant and hmm. such such a gift for all of us. So I just want to again state how much I appreciate you, the work that you do, and certainly for taking your valuable time with us this morning.
1: Hmm. Thank you so much. Many blessings to you and everybody who's listening. May you have a magnificent life and know that it's through, believe it or not, the messiness or the challenges of everyday life, which you cannot get rid of no matter what because they're just, that's just part of being in a human body. You don't need to have everything fixed before you... Experience the wonder and the joy, and that's a lot what the book is about at all, the misconception that it's when you get to a certain place, then you'll have arrived. That's not true. You've already arrived.
0: Another blessing. Mm, And again, thank you, Janine. And with that, we're at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Janine Roth and Sunday Morning Magazine with J.O., I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I'll get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Click on the On Air tab and look for the show and guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of feeling hopeful and optimistic. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning and happy spring.